Hi, everyone. This is Brooke James. Welcome to The Grief Coach. If it is your first time listening, I'm so glad you're here. And if you've listened before, welcome back. Today, I am so excited. I have with us my friend, Leave Bully. Leave, thank you so much for being here today. Hi, Brooke. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited for this conversation as the podcast has grown, trying to explore grief not related to loss um, of a loved one. And that's what we're going to talk about today. And if you could introduce yourself and share your story so people can have some context for where this conversation is coming from today, and then we'll get into it. Sure. So like you said, my name is Leave. I, it's probably a funny name to you because it's Norwegian. <laughs> I grew up in Norway. It's not live, it's leave. <laughs> I grew up in Norway with an American mom, which is why there's a lack of a hardcore accent and a very Norwegian father. I moved to the States about 10 years ago to go to grad school and found that I loved being here so much that I wanted to make my life here and not necessarily in, in Norway. So I've been here for almost a decade now. I lived in New York for most of that time, but during everything that's been going on, my husband and I moved out west to closer to his family so that we could have some family around us. I am an entrepreneur, a data journalist, and a writer. But what I wanted to talk to you guys to, about today is the experience of this pandemic and what it has been like to not be able to go home and see my family. For the first 10 years of living here, I remember actually when I, when I first started out and was, had a very, very slim paycheck, my goal was always to have $1,000 in my bank account so that I could hop on a plane and go home to Norway whenever I needed to or wanted to. And pretty consistently over the past 10 years, I've been home at least four times a year. My family comes here. We see each other quite regularly. And this year, that all kind of changed a lot. And I haven't been able to go home and, and see my family. And what's, what's sadder about that or what actually feels like is challenging about that is that I have two young kids. They're two and they're four. And I feel like the last time my family saw them, they were babies and now they're basically ready for college. <laughs> and I think for listeners who maybe don't have kids or are not around kids to remind those people that a child changes pretty significantly from like two to four or like one to two, like that's a big change and they start to have more of a personality and all of that. And you end up not being able to see several huge developmental milestones that happen in those ages. Totally. So my youngest, Isabel, the last time my parents saw her was in February of 2020. And she had just barely started walking, didn't really communicate at all. And now, you know, she's running around our backyard, telling me all her thoughts and feelings and has really grown into a tiny little person. And mm -hmm. I feel like my parents and my brothers and the rest of my family um, missed out on, on seeing her go from, from one to the other and vice versa. My brothers have all have kids who, you know, in the last couple of years have changed a lot and I've missed out on it and not been able to be there for family parties or big milestones or anything that really matters. And, you know, we zoom or FaceTime, but it's just not quite the same. Thing. It's not quite the same. Now we're recording and it's the end of June in 2021. And I think we all forget if you're in the United States in um, a city. So I'm in New York, um, leave you on the West Coast that like everything kind of seems fine and the pandemic seems like it's over. Right. 
in the beginning of the pandemic, I, similar to you, my mom is on the West coast. And so I was like, when am I going to see her? How am I going to see her? What is the, how, how is this going to work? And like, and cause remember in March of 2020, like, which seems like ages ago, like we didn't know. David and I were living in Brooklyn at the time and we have a house in the Catskills. And David said, you know, I think maybe we should go up to the Catskills. I was like, okay, well, we'll plan a long weekend <laughs> and right. for, for four days and came up here. And I remember quite distinctly on the Sunday night, we were talking about whether or not we should go down, if we could even get back into New York. We weren't sure, you know, what it was like. And I kind of just looked at him and said, oh, we're not going back, are we? And he's like, no, we are not. And we like remotely <laughs> subleased our place, pack up all our stuff and, and kind of our whole life changed. Yeah, exactly. So if you can talk a little bit about your experience in like your an expat and how because Europe Europe has had much stricter lockdowns than the United States, um, yeah. so how that like schedule and navigating those um, laws, <laughs> like what 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 has that experience been like? Well, so it's interesting because technically, you know, being in a region, I could really go home at any time as long as I'm willing to submit to a quarantine hotel. Mm -hmm. Norway has had some of the strictest restrictions of in the whole world, really. And they, they've been successful in kind of managing the pandemic itself. I remember last summer, it was an opposite feeling where everything in Norway was kind of seemingly normal and open. And here it was the opposite. You know, we've been sitting inside of our house for I don't know how long. But this, as the vaccines were introduced, and as they started rolling out here in the US, that situation shifted very quickly because um, the schedule that they're on has been, you know, delayed and delayed and delayed. I remember it took quite some time for my parents, you know, my father is almost 80 years old, my mother has pre-existing conditions, and even they waited for months for their vaccines. Just now, finally, my oldest brother has, you know, had his first shot, and some of my friends are starting to get their vaccines, but really that looks like it's not going to be until you know, early fall, maybe mid, you know, in the middle of fall, summer and end of October, where Norway is going to really be at a level of vaccinations where they can, you know, freely open up. And so, you know, my hope and dream that I could go home this summer with my husband and kids was kind of dashed. And, you know, like I said, I could go home, but I wouldn't be able to bring David because he's not a Norwegian citizen. And being, you know, you would need to travel for going into quarantine and quarantining on the way back, it just doesn't seem like, unless we can go together, it doesn't feel like the right thing to do. Right. What has it felt like, or what are some of the feelings you've had? I'm sure it's probably a roller coaster of emotion of like not being able to see your family and them not being able to see you and your daughters. And like, what has that emotional experience been like? Well, you know, really more than anything else, I just want to hug my mom and my dad, you know, it's so we ended up buying Facebook portals for my whole family for Christmas and ship <laughs> them all to Norway. I don't know if you, you guys know what a portal is, but it's basically just a tablet that exists entirely for you to do video calls and it kind of like follows, it uses AI to understand where the subject is in the room. So it kind of expands or contracts based on people's movement. So it felt a little more like we were in the same space together like it felt a little easier to communicate through that so we ended up buying those for everybody and that's basically how we've been keeping in touch 
I'm also on the West coast, which is a nine hour time difference to Norway. So mm-hmm. every single morning, I know that I've got to get a call into my mom by like 9am or else she's going to be getting ready for bed. So we all wake up in the morning and run downstairs to our playroom and, you know, get on the portal and call Nanny B as my kids affectionately call her. And it's been great to do that. Honestly, I think I've been calling my parents more now during all of this than ever before, Uh, you know, living, I was always living here in the States and, you know, at least once a week I'd be calling them, but now I'm calling them every single day. Mm -hmm. And that has felt like a good way to cope with this, with missing them. You know, I still feel in touch. I feel like I know what's going on with them, what they're thinking about, what they're worried about. You know, they just bought a car and my mom wanted to know what color I thought was best and kind of just like regular life stuff that we've been able to keep up through video chat but again at the end of the day like sometimes I just want to hug my mom and like I want my mom to be able to hug my kids and they are kind of getting familiar with this idea that Nanny B lives behind a screen and isn't like a person who they physically can hug and touch and be with Mm -hmm. and so I'm very much looking forward to the to the day when she can come here or we can go there and we can you know give each other a proper hug. And I think that that's something a lot of people who listen, like most of the audience has lost someone due to like loss of life. And really, we all want to just be able to hug the person we love and care about. So added frustration because it's physically possible, but it's impossible to do. How do you explain to your kids that you can't go anywhere? I feel like that would be really difficult. So what what does that conversation sound like? Honestly, I was really surprised by, you know, how well my kids, kids managed this and like have dealt with it. Mm -hmm. You know, we explained to them kind of, you know, an abbreviated version of what was going on, not enough to scare them, but enough to kind of give them a, a, a sense of understanding of why all of a sudden our life changed completely. And it was funny because in January, we finally decided that it was safe enough to put them back into preschool. But that did mean at the same time that we were going to have to cut off contact with David's parents who live close to us because his father is a high-risk individual. So mm-hmm. all of a sudden we went from being able to see, actually see like their grandparents physically and be with them to four months until they were able to get vaccinated before we could see them again. And explaining that, you know, was something I was really afraid to do. I was really nervous about how Sophie, my oldest would react. She's super attached to her grandparents. But, you know, we just made it clear that you're gonna be able to go to school again. You're gonna be able to play with other kids, but it means that we can't see Mimi and Boo Boo for a while. And again, I mean, I honestly was shocked at how well they adapted and, and, and were okay with that. But man, there was some serious running to like slow-mo running hug when we did finally get to see them again and a lot of joy. And I, I wonder how much of this they really actually understand and how much they've, they've just accepted. There's been interesting times where, you know, Sophie will tell me she'll be outside playing and I'm like, what are you doing? She's like, oh, I'm hiding from the coronavirus. So they, <laughs> <laughs> you know, they know that it's something and it's pretty nebulous and abstract so it can be challenging to to explain it but by sharing some you know sharing enough detail that they feel like we're being honest with them I think they've been you know super resilient and and able to kind of adapt to the situation without being as sad or upset or angry with us as I thought they might be yeah which we all 
think kids don't get it and it's pleasantly surprising that they like understand more than we think that they will. I mean, that's, so it's in general, kind of a parenting ethos that David and I both live by is when we are telling our kids they can't do something or they can't have something, we tend to try to, you know, explain in real, in real depth, what the thing is or the concept itself, just because I know from my own childhood that when somebody would just say, no, or you can't do something, I would, it would be very frustrating to me, but if they explain the reasoning behind, then I could think about that and process that. And again, like I said, you know, not too much detail to scare them, but enough that they feel like they're heard and that they can understand at least something around why something is the way that it is. Mm -hmm. So it's been an interesting thing to navigate, especially when it comes to the pandemic and, you know, all of the changes in their life. But I definitely am really proud to see how, you know, kids are more resilient than we think. They really, truly are. I don't know. I've had people on and talked about like, how do you explain loss to kids? Some people have made comments that like, they are more resilient than adults often, which I think is so interesting. I don't know if you can talk a little bit more about the stress and anxiety of making decisions to see people. One thing that with the pandemic, when I've talked about it previously on the podcast, it's been like, I had to watch my grandfather be buried on Zoom was what someone said to me. And I just like lost it because that thought is just like horrific to me. But even for those of us who have been lucky enough not to lose someone in the past year and a half, like some of us are in a little bit of denial about the fact that we have experienced a traumatic event and are grieving. And that like, that's a real thing. Like everyone is grieving for the past year and a half. But if you can talk about the anxiety and stress around like making decisions to see people and like, as we're entering back into more normal life, now that people are vaccinated, how have you been dealing with that? Well, I will tell you, our friends recently had a baby and they invited us to their baby shower a few weeks prior. And it was outside. It was our first like event with you know, people outside of our core bubble. Right. And I swear to God, the first 10 people I talked to, I was just like, I'm experiencing some severe social anxiety now. <laughs> My name is Leave. <laughs> and they all kind of like, me too. It, it's definitely a strange feeling to go back to seeing people. Mm-hmm. And it also, you know, kind of encouraged me as things started to feel more normal here, I started dreaming and planning that we were going to be able to go home to Norway this summer. So we booked flights and we booked an Airbnb and we were supposed to leave um, two weeks from now. Mm -hmm. And that was a very stressful, intense decision that we went back and forth on a lot, but finally decided that it made more sense for us to cancel the trip because we didn't know what it would look like for David upon arrival, whether or not he'd even be able to get in once we got there, whether or not we would have to go into this so-called quarantine hotels and stay there for two weeks. You know, one hotel room with two kids and two parents for two weeks sounds like not something I'm, you know, super excited to do. That sounds like relaxing (laughs) is all. You have two hours a day, you may go outside the rest of the time, you must share this hotel room with your children. No, thank you. No, thank Um, you. But that was probably one of the most stressful and upsetting decisions that I had to make was when we finally said, okay, we're going to have to cancel this. Um, We're not going to be able to go because there's the part of me that's so desperately, like I said, I want to go home and hug my mom and my dad and my brothers. I want to see my nieces and nephews. I want to be able to see all my friends. I want to be able to 
go out and enjoy summer and be in a park and do everything that's kind of what we do in Norway in summertime. And I just, you know, I felt like I could keep pushing, but it wasn't fair to my husband or to my kids to put that kind of stress on our family. And yeah. so, you know, we eventually decided that this doesn't make sense and that, you know, we will 100% be able to go for Christmas. We rebooked our flights for Christmas and hopefully sometime this fall, my mom and dad can come here. I will be able to go there, but because it's so unknown and we're not, I mean, the rules are changing every Friday, the Norwegian government makes and has a new press conference and entirely changes the rules. And until it, things are more settled and we really know what we're getting into, that's a level of stress that I, I didn't feel right putting on my family just so I could get a chance to go home. Yeah. Yeah. That just sums it up so well of like the unknown is really stressful. Like we're used to having a sense of how things are going to go and there is grief in the not knowing. And that's a hard truth to acknowledge. And it's, <laughs> it's almost like it sneaks up on you, right? Like there's the part of me that's felt really down for times over this past year. And then at the same time, I start getting upset with myself. Like, what right do you have to be upset? There are people that are going through way worse than you that are have lost loved ones that are in a, in a much worse financial position and aren't close to any family whatsoever. So I, you know, don't feel almost like I have a right to be sad or depressed or languishing about this. But then you kind of start to realize like after it's been month after month after month rolls into a year, more than a year, a year and a half. It's, you know, it's, you can't really avoid it. That grief is there and, and it has an impact on you and your, and your joy and your ability to feel joy and excitement. And I think that that's true, not, you know, not just for me, but for everyone that's going through this, like there's less to look forward to because you can't be certain about that, that trip you want to plan or the time you're going to see your friends or the event you want to go to, you don't know for sure that it's going to happen. So you don't want to let yourself get excited, but you basically train yourself to not get excited about anything. Anymore. It's right. an interesting, an interesting, uh, I don't know. It's just like an ex a, a feeling I really never thought I was going to have in my life. Yeah. You hit the nail on the head because now it's fine. Like I am one of those annoying people. You know this about me. Most of the listeners do not that like, I'm like, um, I can see you in two weeks because I'm busy every <laughs> night until then. And like, that's starting to happen again here in New York anyway, that, and I'm traveling in July a ton for work. And I realized like, oh, I'm only going to be in New York for six days. So it's so easy to feel like this is back to normal and we can look forward to things. But for that year and a half of the unknown and the not being able to like look forward to things like really was a clusterfuck. Well, you, it's almost like you forget how to look forward to things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And like so much of like the joy that we get in our life is from the anticipation of something exciting, whether it's seeing a friend or trying a restaurant or being able to do something fun and like not have to stay in your apartment or your house. We forget that that is what like life is made up of, I think. And then there's the, there's the flip side of it too, you know, so we're actually on the East coast now at our house in the Catskills. We came out here for about a month this summer. And first of all, I had totally forgotten how to pack for my whole family. Like oh, yeah. David and I used to drag our kids all over the place. Like we traveled for a year and a half when Sophie was born. Isabel, her first, my first like, her, like, um, op, op, uh, 
what's the word? Obstetrician? What's yeah. My first OBGYN appointment was in Quito, Ecuador. Like, so these kids have been all over the world and then boom, that all stopped. And then like a couple of weeks ago, when I started prepping us to go, I was like, how do I even pack? What, what, how could I even think about it? What four people should put into two suitcases and how can I get all this together? And the other side of that was that like, now all of a sudden they're two and four. Last time I was traveling with them, you know, I needed 800 baby bottles and 40,000 wipes and all of this other stuff. And like, now I don't even bring a stroller. They can, you know, we can get by with like a normal amount of stuff, but it really was like a whole like mental exercise of like, how do you pack again? And then the other day, you know, being up here, we went to Woodstock, went to our, one of our favorite restaurants and sat down the four of us and had lunch. And David and I looked at each other and we're like, wow, we haven't done this in mm-hmm. I don't know how long. Mm-hmm. And you really get to enjoy it in a whole new way. Like I took that so for granted to be able to go out and do something with my kids. And I am enjoying a little bit the side of things where I'm getting to experience things with like a new fresh, like this is really an, you know, an exciting, awesome thing. I'm just at lunch with my kids, but like I get to enjoy it in a whole new way. Yeah. And that learning to find joy, but also relearning how to live your life with after having these types of experiences is a real thing and can take a lot of time. I don't know if you felt this, but when you're going out in public now, you were talking about it before, sorry, when you're at the baby shower of how, how do I do this? How do I be in public? And like, that's how I felt like after my dad died, I was like, I I forgot because your brain is just on like survival mode, which is what we were all doing. And so now to be able to be in public and to find that joy and to go on trips and to do all of these things. I totally agree with you. It's so much more special. And it's like, okay, I want to do all the fun things. Like I've been in my house for a year and a half and I just want to go like go to lunch and go eat yummy food and spend time with people I care about and like go on walks and be outside and finding the joy in the mundane is something that is really good. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. I'm just, I'm, I'm even having fun going to the grocery store without like, you know, three masks on and covering my entire body in, in anti-back as soon as I get out of there and like freaking out about whether or not I put my family at risk because I bought groceries. Being able to just kind of like go into a grocery store and be like, do I want this kind of cheese or want that kind of cheese? And it's such a little tiny mundane yeah. thing, but yeah. it's, it feels good. I mean, kind of scary, but good, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> totally. Okay. So if what, like, we kind of have talked about this, but we're like back to normal now. Like, do you have in your mind, you're going to go in the fall of like, are you trying to anticipate what is it going to be like? And how are you going to feel? And like, what, what do you feel when you think about what that time is going to be like? I'm weirdly almost hesitant to go. Can you talk about that a little more? Yeah. Yeah. Cause we, you know, I mean, like I said, these two little girls are in preschool. They have a rhythm and routine and traveling and being somewhere else, you know, they're out of that routine. And if we do that in the middle of the school year, it just feels like I'm doing them a disservice as opposed to going in, you know, summer when they should be on break and vacation anyway. And I, I struggle with the idea of how much of this is like, I really just need to go home and I need Mm -hmm. my kids, my parents to see my kids, how much, like, how important is that versus stability and normalcy for these two girls when they have just spent a year plus with 
you know, no semblance of normalcy, just stuck in a house alone with me all day. <laughs> so it, it's a balance. Like, it feels like that's what everything is. And I'm looking at stuff with a new light because I don't think I ever really stopped to consider the other side of things or really was as balanced about making decisions about where we go and what we do and when we travel. It was more just kind of life is an adventure and we're going to enjoy every moment of it. And, you know, we're going to do what it takes to get where we need to be. And now I really want to be thoughtful and make sure that I'm not ever putting my kids in a position where they're not comfortable or they're not where they need to be right now. And, you know, is it, is it going to be disruptive to them if we go at first opportunity to Norway? So, you know, it's, I mean, I could, I could say I've, I've made a decision, but I haven't because like, this is literally all I think about <laughs> all the time. I go back and forth in my head, like, but it's totally worth it. They get to see their cousins. They get to see their grandparents. And then I'm like, well, no, because they'd be leaving in the middle of the school year and that could be disruptive and let's just wait till Christmas. But, oh, I can't wait till Christmas. And it just is a constant battle with like kind of logic and reason and, and then also the emotions around it of like, I just want to hug my mom. Yeah. And I think, when it comes down to it like we just want to like hug our people so that's what like drives it and like it's so simple and like but that's I mean that's you think it. about how how lucky we are now compared to so if this had happened 20 years ago the technology would not have been such that we could have stayed so closely in touch been able to work remotely in the way that we are you know none of what we have available to us we shouldn't take it for granted right we, as David always tells me, we lived in, we live in the best time it ever was possible to live. I mean, him and I disagree on that. I definitely think it was the, you know, 60s, but whatever. But like in terms of technology, you know, we can talk to each other. My mom moved from New Jersey to Brussels when she was 20 years old, married my father. He then proceeded to leave for China and teach computer science for a year. And she was in Brussels alone, had my brother, and she would send letters to my grandparents. And she didn't have, you know, FaceTime or any other way to communicate. I remember recording when I was a little girl, she would record on cassette tapes messages from me and my brothers and send those to her parents. And like, you know, right. (laughs) And like, imagine if that was how we had to communicate now. So there's so much in terms of like where we are as a society that we can be super grateful for that really made this a lot easier for us. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, you can't get away from that. Like, humans are social creatures and we you know desire physical contact and we want to be able to all get in a room and have a glass of wine and give each other a hug and be together and i think that's you know not having that for the past year and a half you know i think as much as i i tell myself well you're not allowed to be sad about it because people are worse off we are allowed to grieve that pain that we've lost that time and that we've lost you know, that there's so much that we've missed in this time. And as, you know, as amazing as this technology is, looking at my, my parents' faces on a screen is not the same as being there in person and giving them a hug and taking adventures together. And, you know, it's just I not told, the same. It's not the same. And I, I wonder, like, why... I would love to ask, like, a therapist, like, why do we do that? Of, like, okay, well, it could be worse. It's, like, right, but this still sucks yes, it could be worse, but this is still hard. And this has been really hard. Like it could always be worse, but I don't know. I think it's interesting. I think we're we're better at doing that for others than for ourselves. So I've had that same conversation with many of my girlfriends. You know, a lot of the people I know are either like half American, half Norwegian, 
have families across, you know, distances that they haven't been able to see and aren't able to live their life as, as normal. I mean, we all have that, right? But, you know, I'll have a friend of mine say to me, I don't feel like I'm allowed to be sad about this. And I don't think that for a second, you know, my interpretation of that situation is, of course, you're allowed to, to grieve that. And of course, that's allowed to be difficult. And of course, you're allowed to kvetch a little bit about it if you want to. But then when I try to assess that for myself personally, I'm like, no, no, you don't. <laughs> so right. I think we're just much better at being kind and empathetic towards others than we are towards ourselves sometimes. We really are. But even I noticed on a similar vein of after my dad died and people would like say something about their life that was hard. And then they'd be like, but you know, it's nothing compared to what you're, it's like, you, you're still allowed to have a bad day, even though like right. your dad, did, your dad didn't die. And I don't know. It's just, if we can all give ourselves a little bit more compassion and grace and like empathy, as you were saying that like, we're allowed to have bad days and we're allowed to be traumatized by a global pandemic. And I think that's how you get through it, right? I love that word grace. And I think that's, that's what it all comes down to is extend grace and kindness to yourself and, and allow yourself to process what has been lost and, and what, you know, has been hard, but there's a difference between allowing yourself to process it and wallowing in it. And you know, that's the best way to kind of get through this is to be honest with yourself about what hurts and, and what doesn't and what you what you've gone through and and acknowledge that others may have gone through more, but still allow yourself to feel that pain and, and extend grace and kindness to yourself. Yeah, absolutely. And that's how you end up building resilience is the like acknowledgement and then the like decision to move forward. So I think that's a really important point that you brought up of like, okay, yes, you need to move through it, but you must acknowledge it. Otherwise you're going to have a Otherwise mess. you don't process it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, and imagine what a roaring Christmas we're going to have this year in Norway. You oh know, fingers crossed that we actually get to go, but like, you will as much as, as much as been, has, has really just, you know, to put it in plain terms, just sucked not to be able to see my family and see my nieces and nephews and watch them grow. I am so excited for the moment where I do get to see where they are now and hear everything about their day and hear everything about, you know, what's going on with them and eat fabulous dinners together and just go back to normal. And I think it becomes so much, so much more special now um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. than, totally. you know, what I was able to see it as before. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, it's an interesting world out there right now. I think it's important to remember that while, like you say, things feel like they're going back to normal here, you know, it's, it hasn't gone back to normal everywhere else. And this is still a global problem that's going to continue to, to need our attention and, and can continue to be, you know, evolving as the next couple of the night over, I don't know if it's going to be months or years, but this isn't over just yet. And I mm -hmm. think it's, but to enjoy, really, really enjoy what privileges we have back again now and, and, and not take them for granted. Absolutely. Before we end, I would love if you could share a little bit about your business, because I know that's a way you have been keeping your connection to Norway. So if you want to tell people about it and also where they can find it online. We'll <laughs> for wrap. sure. It's actually a funny story. So I launched Blue House in December of 2019. And the reason I started, it's a small Scandinavian home goods business and property development. And so we have a cabin up in the Catskills and I turned it into a very Norwegian, what we call a cabin. 
And people, we rented it out on short-term rentals and we started getting all these messages like, you know, where did you find this? And where did you get that? And it was all this stuff that I had smuggled over with me in my suitcase for exorbitant bags <laughs> to David's great chagrin, everything from stair treads to blankets, to lamps, all kinds of stuff. And people kept asking me, you know, where'd you find this? Where'd you find this? And so I went back to all of the brands that are, you know, brands I grew up with, the favorites that like kind of most Norwegians are used to have seeing on every couch. You don't even think about it. Everyone has a Dodo's tweed blanket somewhere mm -hmm. and ask them if I could bring them over here. And so I started building this business around these really, you know, fun and functional and really beautiful, durable home goods, brought them over here. And part of my thinking was, you know, I'll be able to go home four times a year to source. And I'm making this kind of cultural divide that I have inside me, part of the business that I'm building. And then wham, wham. <laughs> two months later, not so much sourcing, but, and there's been challenges around kind of shipping and goods and, and like the whole, you know, distribution process at the moment is, is pretty challenging, but it's been great. I have fabulous partners at home in Norway that I work with. And they of course understand that I'm not able to be as flexible and come be on site as I, I would like to, but you know, that's starting to starting to change now. And yeah, you can find us at bluehousegoods.com and it tells you a little bit about my story and, and why we started this business. And you can shop beautiful home goods from all of Scandinavia, not just Norway, from Denmark and Sweden as well. So, yeah, and it's so beautiful. I urge everyone to check it out. I want to stay at the house one day and the website is beautiful. The Instagram is beautiful. Like everything is so well done. So definitely urge people to take a look. And we just recently acquired a second property that we are um, starting to remodel at the moment. And it's a little Victorian farmhouse in Cape Cod, which- um, Oh, I can't wait to go there. <laughs> so fun. I am desperately busting my butt to try to get that place ready so that we can get it out on the rental market for this summer. Mm -hmm. So if you guys want to watch me at Schwitz while I put hang up drapes and change outlet covers and try to make this place look somewhat livable, you should follow us at Blue House Home on Instagram. We'll be sharing updates there. Wonderful. And from our current visit to the Catskills, which is so far a delightful experience. All right. Well, thank you so much. It was so good to hear about this. And I think a lot of people have not been thinking about this. So I really appreciate you sharing your story on this. Thank you. Well, thank you, Brooke. And thank you for, you know, taking on a topic that maybe feels like I was a little nervous about this, like, Am I allowed to feel grief about this? And it really, yes. you asking me to be on the show really validates that, you know, we're allowed to, we're allowed to feel a little bit of pain over what's happened and let's move onward and upward and let's, let's let life go back to normal, but in, in a better way. <laughs> a better normal. Absolutely. All right. Thank you everyone for listening. You can find us online at thegriefcoach.co and on social at the underscore grief coach. And I will talk to you guys soon. Thanks.